and once you mark Joshua 7, go to Hosea chapter 2 and mark a place there. And uh, while you're turning there, I do want to say that I am deeply, deeply honored to be here. And uh, I remember, I don't remember how long it's been since I've been, but I know the, the sanctuary looks a whole lot different since the last time I was here. And uh, you've got new beautiful chairs and a paint job, and, a, and uh, it just looks world class. It's excellence. And I, I'm of the belief that the people of God ought to reflect excellence in the yes. kingdom of God Amen. in everything that we do Amen. to the best of our ability. We yes. represent on earth a, an invisible kingdom. Yes, sir. We are the physical manifestation of an invisible kingdom. Right. And it ought to represent and honor the God that we're serving. Yeah. Amen. And so uh, I love what I see. I see revival and I love the spirit that is here. I am, I'm just so glad to be in the house of God with you. And uh, I, I was telling Brother Camarina, I, we, uh, we experienced the urgency of labor one week ago. When I rushed my wife to the hospital at four in the morning and we had our third child. And so I know I know what it feels like to to be ready to go and then it not be ready, be ready to go and it not be the moment. And then she wakes you up at four and it's the real deal. And so you're trying to pour coffee into a plastic cup and you're burning yourself and trying to collect your children and all of the above. But I pray I pray the same speedy labor that was on my wife is on your wife, health, and all of the above. And uh, you're going to have revival one way or another. Amen. Either we're going to teach new Bible studies and get people saved, or we're just going to start having children. But we're going to fill the sanctuary up one way or another. And now that our baby girl is born, we're waiting for a passport so we can return to the country of our labor which is about 3,000 miles south of here. And uh, I want you to know that the pandemic is certainly affecting the island of Roatan and the country of Honduras that already suffers from, from poverty and lack of access to proper medical treatment. And so uh, be praying for our country that is in turmoil right now, suffering greatly. Um, but thank God there is a beacon of truth on the main road, uh, First Apostolic Church of Roatan has been transformed into a food bank because we can't have service right now. We're providing 50 families with weekly groceries to feed their, their children. And uh, I didn't know how we were going to pay for it when we decided to start doing it because it's several thousand dollars a month. Um, but God has just provided I stepped out by faith to turn our church into a food bank, and um, God awakened uh, giving in the hearts of people in the states that, unbeknownst to myself, began to send support to feed people and families on that island, and uh, we're just going to continue to do this until we can't do it anymore. And uh, there are children that are getting hot meals because of First Apostolic Church in Roatan, and uh, when this is all over, they know where to go. Yes. They, we fed their belly and now we're going to feed their soul the truth yes. of God's word and uh, so I'm praying that God continues to help yes. us do that and then I want you to be praying for us uh, we went there 8 years ago and we planted a headquarter church on the main island 40 miles off the coast of Honduras and now new opportunities have uh, presented themselves to start new churches on the neighboring islands that are about 2 hours by boat in both directions, north and south, and uh, we don't have any way to get there other than boat. And uh, for me, it's just been a new paradigm shift because um, I want to access these islands, but a boat just seems so un unattainable. Um, but as I begin to read the biographies of missionaries to Brazil, like Brother De Merchant and others in South America who use boats and planes to reach unreachable areas, I'm praying that God helps us. Right now, everything that we collect, aside from helping to feed the people on our island, is going to get a boat so we can access these unreachable areas of the Caribbean. And so, um, 
we've, we've raised about half of what we need for the boat, but God, I just believe God is going to help us Amen. raise the remaining portion. Amen. And I, I'm just so thankful that God, God connects us to people that have a desire to see international missions move forward. Amen. Amen. So um, I don't have any sad stories to tell. Uh, all I all I know is that God is building an apostolic church around the world, and we're linked in the Spirit. Amen. We're linked together. Amen. And so uh, I invite you to turn to the book of Joshua. I do feel like there's something on my heart that the Lord wants me to share with you. I, I will not keep you here long. Normally I'm, I'm preaching in Spanish. And when I preach in Spanish, I preach a much more abbreviated message. Just because my Spanish is not quite what I want it to be. And so I pray that the spirit of my abbreviated preaching gets on my English today. And uh, we're not here for very long. I know that we've got protocol in place to keep everybody safe and hygienic. And, and so I don't want to cross any lines there. But I do want our hearts and our minds to be open to receive what the Lord has for us before we leave this afternoon. Amen. amen. Everybody say amen. 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 Joshua chapter number 7. Beginning with verse number 24. Amen. The Bible says in our hearing that Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the garment, and the wedge of gold, and his sons, and his daughters, and his oxen, and his asses, and his sheep, and his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them unto the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger, wherefore the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor unto this day. This is a terrible Scene. It is a horrific depiction of God's judgment and God's wrath and God's indignation. And uh, if I stopped right there, we would leave with a sense of fear and insecurity about how to proceed with, with God. But if you read the subtitle above verse 22, I don't know if your Bible says it, mine says it, it says Achan's household is destroyed. But if we turn in our Bibles a few chapters over, still in the Old Testament, to the book of Hosea, chapter number 2, beginning with verse number 14. The subtitle here above our text says Israel's Restoration. Verse 14, these are the words, this is a prophetic message. It says, therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. And I will give her her vineyards from thence and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she shall, she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up out of the land of Egypt. Joshua 7 shows us the valley of Achor as a place of judgment. Hosea chapter 2 depicts the valley of Achor as something very different. And for just a few minutes on this Sunday morning, I want to talk to you about the valley of Achor as a door of hope. The valley of Achor as a door of hope. God bless you for standing. You may be seated. Amen. I honor your pastor and pastor's wife, what they have built in this town uh, in Lathrop, California, is miraculous. But I just I believe that God is just getting started. That's right. Amen. And, uh, Brother Wilson, he calls uh, the infancy of church growth. I know this is not a new church plant. It's been here for many years, but there are layers to growth and there are chapters to church development and I think what you could call what we have here today is critical mass 
And I know that there are many people that are not here today just because of the pandemic and, and concerns for health and all of the above and um, caution, and, and I think that's appropriate. But what God is elevating and God is collecting is critical mass. It's like when a snowball is rolling down a hill, uh, for a little while it's just a snowflake, but eventually it becomes something that cannot be stopped. And uh, God uses churches that way. He builds people and collects families and leaders. And once you arrive at a place of critical mass, then revival just just happens organically. And I think this is the cusp of critical mass. I think you're about to turn the chapter into a place where it's going to be a weekly thing of revival reports and Bible studies. Hallelujah. I believe that. Amen. And then I honor Bishop Camarena and all of what he represents for this city and this church. I honor you today, Brother Camarena. One of the greatest stories in our Bible is the story of Joshua and the Jericho walls. Uh, God gave Joshua a word that he would he would take down and indeed capture this city and these formidable walls. History tells us that these walls were 50 feet high and they were 150 feet thick. Amen. But God did not give Joshua a military strategy. He did not give Joshua a plan for attack. He did not give Joshua a design for ambush. All he did was give Joshua a a, a, a command that he would walk around these walls. And the Bible lets us to know that on the 13th time, on the 7th day, the walls came tumbling down, right. as that Sunday school song tells us. And we shouted about it, and we danced about it, and we rejoiced about it, because for you and I, it represents that we too can have the victory. Right. No matter how high the walls, no matter how insurmountable the difficulty or unattainable the promise, we can possess it and we can overcome it and we can have the healing and we can have triumph. Amen. Uh, No matter what we're facing today, we can have victory through the name of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Ghost that's living within us. Amen. So Joshua and the people of God, they brought down these walls. But all the while, there's a subplot that is going on in this story. There is something taking place just beneath the surface of what is happening in the rejoicing of the Jericho walls falling. There is a fabric that is being sewn into a greater narrative. And you have to really look to see what's happening. It's important that you and I realize and we recognize and we take time to look at what's happening Amen. Joshua destroys these walls through the power of the Holy Ghost. But God gives him a command. When you destroy this city, when you take this city, I don't want you to I want I, don't, I want you to utterly destroy the inhabitants. Yeah. I want you to destroy the cattle, the farms. I want you to destroy the wives and the goat, the silver, the gold. I want you to utterly destroy the entire city with nothing remaining. And this for for our western mentality is a hard thing to comprehend. But for Old Testament military strategy and lifestyle and culture this was a normal thing. But it's important for you to understand that for God to ask them to destroy everything it was a major request. Because part of what made the battle worth fighting was knowing that in the end you would receive the plunder, the spoils of the battle when you were victorious. Amen. Retrieving the spoils of the city were what made the fight worthwhile. But while Joshua was fighting this battle, God gave him a command. I don't want you to take anything for an immediate reward. Part of what kept the soldiers motivated to keep fighting was knowing that at the end of this battle, I will have a reward. They're famished, they're exhausted, they're they're bloody, they're bruised. But in the end, if I faint not, it will be worth it. Amen. But God said, 
You will not receive an immediate reward. Not this time. I, I, I want to stop here long enough to preach to this church that, that there are going to be things that God asks us to do, that God asks us to fight for, that God asks us to stand in. And you've got to fight for it, even though there will be no immediate reward. people on Facebook while you're living down here. 
question and say, what is the use? What is the use continuing to pray when I don't feel like my prayers are effective? What is the use of continuing to give when I'm giving a, a sacrificially? And I want to preach against that spirit that wants to discourage you from walking by faith and living by faith and stepping by faith and praying by faith. You need to be reminded we are a people of faith. jump houses and barbecues and taco trucks. And the, the song that we sang right before I got to preach was uh, uh, brother, me and brother Tim Spell, we tag teamed this big crusade. <laughs> and he got to play on that piano. He said, he's got everything you need. He's got shoes for you. He's got clothes for your back. He's got the keys to your Cadillac. And I just thought, who wrote? This is the dumbest song I have ever heard in my life. Keys to my Cadillac. Hey, God can do it. But let me just let me just tell you something. That that that's not gospel. God can do it, but that's not gospel. Uh, if God blesses you, if you're driving a Cadillac, praise God. You're not gonna offend me. I promise you, you're not gonna offend me. I'm, I'm glad. The more blessed you are, the more blessed you can be in the house of God and the people of God. Amen. I, I don't. I don't look. I don't look down my nose at people that are blessed. Thank God we have blessed people in the house of God. But I want you to know that's not gospel. It's not gospel unless you can take it and preach it in the bush of Africa. Let me just tell you something. Nobody in my church in Honduras is driving a Cadillac unless they they name their mule Cadillac. <laughs> Alright? Now, I'm not against Cadillacs. You can have one. Praise God for it. But I want you to know, our reward is not a Cadillac. Right. Our reward is otherworldly. Right. Other. I can preach that to you here today, and I can get on a plane and go back to Honduras under a tin roof in the middle of the jungle, and I can preach to the people in my yes. church that your reward is otherworldly. Yes. If you're faithful down here, God will be faithful to you up there. So keep praying, keep fighting, keep living for God, and you will receive your reward. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. But in all of what was happening in Joshua, there was a man. There's always a man. And he was in the army. He, The Bible says he spied. This is what the Bible says. He spied a goodly Babylonian garment and a wedge of silver and a bag of gold. God said, take nothing. And he could not resist the temptation to take what he saw. He takes it. He goes home. He buries it under his tent. He's already living in condemnation. He can't even enjoy the garment. He can't even wear the garment because he knows he is in disobedience to the word of God. And it wasn't long after they destroyed Jericho that God says, okay, it's time to go fight in the valley of Ai. There's a there's people there that are resisting the children of Israel. And they come to Joshua and they say, Joshua, listen, we just destroyed Jericho. They're feeling pretty good about themselves. You know, they just took down one of the greatest cities in history. And so they said, let's not worry the people. Let's not labor the people. Let's just send 3,000 people. Because the, 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 the army in AI is small. And so Joshua says, you're right. I don't, want, I don't want the people to be worried. So they sent a small army. And the Bible says immediately the, the army in AI fell upon them. And 30 men were killed instantly. And the Bible says the children of Israel's hearts melted like water. And they fled back to Joshua. And Joshua says, dear God, what have I done? And the Bible says he falls on his face. 
He rents his garment. He pours ashes on his head. And he prays, God, what is wrong with our people? And God says there's something amiss in the camp. There's something wrong in the camp. And Joshua receives instructions by the Lord to bring every tribe. And then every family. And then every head of of household to walk in front of him. And as this happens, first the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Levi, then the family, and then the man Achan, as he walks by Joshua, the Lord illuminates his life. And Joshua looks at him and says, what have you done? And Achan knows the spotlight is on me. He says, Joshua, surely I have sinned against you. And I have sinned against the Lord. And as a result of my disobedience, 30 men, 30 fathers died. And their children will grow up without a dad. 30 men died. And Joshua says, okay, it's time for the judgment of the Lord to happen. And so Joshua takes Achan, his family, his wife, his children, his oxen, his sheep, his possessions, everything he stole that was buried under his tent, down to the valley where he is stoned and he is set on fire and he is buried. Not only him, but his wife and his babies and everything he knows is destroyed. The Bible says that a great heap of stones was placed on him. And as a result, the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. And I don't know of another situation that more acutely depicts the judgment of God than this story does in Scripture. Immediately when sin is discovered, sin took him down into a valley to be judged. Never to a mountaintop to be judged. But always sin takes you down into a depression in the earth. A depression in your spirit and a depression in the earth. Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that sin will always take you down. You try to negotiate with sin and get what you want and get more than you bargained for. But at the end of the day, when the roll is called and it's time to pay the piper, sin always takes you down into a valley to be judged. Sin is no respecter of person. Sin cares not how educated or intellectual you are. Sin does not care what your last name is. Sin is non-discriminative. Sin is the, sin is the most unbiased, unprejudiced, unracist thing in the world is sin. Sin doesn't care if you're black, white, Asian, Hispanic, Latino. It doesn't matter who you are. Sin will judge you. I'm not going to stay on this for much longer. I know y'all are thinking, my God, this missionary came to preach the judgment of God. I'm not here to stay right here. But I do want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, the judgment of God is nothing to play around with. The judgment of God is nothing to fool with. I want you to know, the judgment of God closes the door on hope. It closes the door on blessings. It closes the door on peace and health in your body. You do not want the judgment of God in your life. It's a real thing. You, you don't have to believe me. You can just say, you can just say, well, I, I don't buy into all that. I want you to know you just wait for the judgment of God to show up in your life. And you will be a believer. You do not want God's judgment. Even if you escape God's judgment down here, I promise you, if you have unresolved sin in your life, when you wake up in eternity, the Bible says that God, the judgment seat. You will stand in front of a judgment seat. So even if you don't meet the judge here, you will meet the judge there. And the Bible says that he will look at you and say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. That was judgment. But don't stop there. Because the next line, God looks at faithful people. And God says, you who were faithful, 
enter into the joy of the Lord. I want you to know that was the positive judgment of God. There is judgment in God that will that will curse you, but there is also the blessing of God's judgment that will welcome you into prosperity and faith and goodness for all eternity. That was the favorable judgment of God. I don't know about you, but I want the favorable judgment of God upon my family. I want the favorable judgment of God upon my children. I want the favorable judgment of God upon my church. God, if you're gonna if you're gonna have favorable judgment poured out on First Apostolic Church in Rotan, God, if you're gonna have favorable judgment poured out on Abundant Life Center in Latham, California, we want the favorable judgment of God. But everywhere we look, it appears, it seems like people are rejecting the favorable judgment of God and throwing themselves headlong into the valley of of rebellion and rejection. I want you to know that God is a good God. God is good. God gave us such explicit instructions for how to avoid the judgment. Now, God could have said... If you want to spend eternity with me, figure it out. And if you get it right, well, you're blessed. But if you don't, sorry, Charlie, but God is a good God who gave us explicit instructions. All we have to do is follow explicit instructions. Now, I know it's not in the nature of man to follow instructions, especially in the male species. I look at Google Maps and it tells me to go this way, and I'm like, I know a better way. I know, and I before it's all said and done, I'm doing U-turns, I'm stuck in ports, I'm down one-way streets. And had I just followed the instructions, I'd have been there 30 minutes ago. But I thought I knew better than the one who had the map. Can I tell you there are people who are trying to rewrite the the map to get to glory. And I'm just telling you right now, you'll save yourself a lot of trouble if you just obey the instructions that God has. But what are they in the instructions? That's a very familiar question that was asked of the Apostle Peter that said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And he said, that's a good question. All you've got to do is repent of your sins. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and live an overcoming life. And you will. is the instruction now for God's favorable judgment. Salvation? We don't need to overcomplicate the roadmap to glory. Follow the instructions that the apostles have given us. Amen. Who had the keys to the kingdom? People get stuck in semantics. They get they get lost in the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And they, they try they try to they try to connect things that are not connected and before they realize that they're lost. They're in the in the woods. But all they've got to do is find Peter who's got the keys to the kingdom and follow his footsteps from Jerusalem to the new Jerusalem. And the instructions are simple. Yes, sir. Amen. Amen. It's simple enough to where a child can understand. Except you become as one of these children. But it's so deep and profound that you'll spend the rest of your life trying to plumb the depths of God's revelation. God makes it simple enough to where you can walk in here for the first time and understand how to walk in God's glory. Or you can walk in here for the 30th year and still hear the revelation of God's word. The profundity of God's spirit and the simplicity of God's spirit is all together lovely. Yes, sir. Amen. Hallelujah. The favorable judgment of God. Hallelujah. Here we are, standing in the valley of Achor, the valley of destruction, transgression, iniquity, and shortcoming. If left unresolved, this valley is nothing but a place of bloodshed and pain and suffering. Amen. Can I tell you, and I want to be conscious of the time, so I'm not going to be much longer, but I want you to know that if you feel you don't have to raise your hand because I know you're in here because there's 
breathing warm bodies in this room. But if you are in here and you feel distant from God, like you're not as close as you once were, there's a good chance the chasm between you and the Lord is a chasm as a result of unresolved sin. Nothing will make you feel more distant from God than unresolved sin. And nothing will draw you closer than repentance will. I'm not here to overcomplicate what needs to happen in your life. But I can tell you what needs to happen. Every day there needs to be a posture of humility that says, God, forgive me of every transgression and every iniquity and every shortcoming in my life that I knowingly committed or unknowingly committed, God, because I don't want there to be unresolved sin between you and me because it creates distance. And when you try to pray, you're reminded of your unresolved sin. And when you close your eyes, you're reminded of your transgression. You don't need to live with that. You don't need to hold on to that. You don't need to live in condemnation. The best thing you can do is throw that at the altar before God and say, this is who I am. I'm making an open before you. Forgive me of every transgression. And God will receive you. Yes, he will. Amen. Hallelujah. That's why the Bible lets us to know that when Adam and Eve were in the garden with the Holy Ghost, with the Spirit of God in in the Garden of Eden, the Bible does not say, we say this a lot, but the Bible does not say this. We say that Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden in the cool of the day, but the Bible does not say that Adam and Eve walked with God. The Bible says that Adam and Eve walked with the voice of God. God's voice was so animated, it was so real that it felt tangible. But it was only his voice. It was nothing different than you and I walking in this room on Monday night for prayer. Walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And all of a sudden you hear that voice. That's the same sensation. That's the same proximity that Adam had that you can have. But the Bible says that when Adam transgressed, one man's disobedience brought sin to the world. That's what scripture says. That now... When God went to walk with him, he couldn't find him. Which just means that Adam wasn't in his place. God never misplaces you. We misplace ourselves. God doesn't ask questions for information. God asks rhetorical questions so we will seek the answer. He says, Adam, where are you? God knew exactly where Adam was. Adam didn't know where Adam was. Unresolved sin will make you feel lost. It'll make you feel like you're not where you should be. That's a good thing. The Bible says the Lord chastises those that he loveth. If God stops rebuking you, that's when you need to get worried. Because that means God stops loving you. But as long as you feel the chastisement of the Holy Ghost, that's a good thing. That means God still loves me. God still wants relationship with me. God is still looking for me. God still desires me. And Adam's, this is Adam's response. Adam says, I heard your voice, but I was afraid. And God says, huh? The voice that used to walk with you and provide tranquility and peace and relationship, now that voice is sounds angry and causes fear. What changed? He says, my voice did not change. Your perception of my voice changed. Because unresolved sin will make you hear God differently than you did before. Brother Camarina can stand in this pulpit and preach the same message every Sunday and Wednesday. And it'll sound like peace to somebody who has a pure heart. But the moment you allow unresolved sin in your life, he sounds angry. He sounds judgmental. He sounds mean-spirited. What changed about the preacher? Nothing changed about the preacher. Your ears are not tuned to the frequency of heaven. And you have unresolved sin in your life. Nothing changes about the word of God. But our hearing changed. And now we hear differently. The Bible says in the last days that there would be men having itching ears, which means they were just trying to hear something that they they wanted to hear. The quickest access to your brain 
Science teaches us it's not your eyes, but it's your ears. Long before you ever see the red car out of control driving way too fast, danger. You hear the car driving way too fast, danger. Your ears will save you much better than your eyes will save you. Can I tell you that the Bible says, how can we be saved except we hear faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. Idolatrous and adulterous activity in Israel, but it's the restoration of Israel. <laughs> I will give her her vineyards from thence, and I will give her the valley of Achor as a door of hope. And this is amazing to me because the valley of Achor literally translated means the valley of trouble. Or the valley of judgment. And he said I will give you the valley of hopelessness. The valley of bloodshed and carnage. The valley of deadness and darkness. The valley of trouble, confusion and fear. But I will put a door of hope in there somewhere. The valley of Achor is full of God's judgment, but I can hear the voice of God declaring in the prophet's mouth that it doesn't matter where you are in that valley, there's a door of hope in there somewhere. There is a way of escape in there somewhere. I, I don't care where you find yourself at today in June of 2020, halfway through this pandemic and this crisis. I don't care where you find yourself in this valley. I want you to know, you better hear this preacher today. There there's a door of hope in there somewhere. God put a door of hope in that valley somewhere. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God for the door. Amen. Years after the Vietnam War, not far from here in Modesto, a local TV station wanted to honor the veterans on, on, on Veterans Day, and specifically those that fought in the Vietnam War. And there was one particular man in the city who was a survivor. He was a prisoner of war during the Vietnam War. And so they knew where he lived. He was a, a local figure in the community. And he was tortured and abused as a prisoner of war in Vietnam. And uh, many people thought he was insane because of the negative effects psychologically that he had as a result of the war. Uh, this was before they successfully diagnosed post-traumatic stress disorder, which now we would identify him with those symptoms, but he experienced very difficult things overseas. And they wanted to feature him in the broadcast, and so they showed up at his door one morning. They, they notified him that they would be coming, and the camera team is there, the anchor, the TV station, and they, they knock on his door, 
And they can hear the footsteps of the man coming. He opens the door. And before they can greet him, he slams the door. And they're puzzled. And then he opens the door. And he slams the door. And this happened five or six times when the cameras are there and the, the TV station and the anchor and the reporter. And they're just standing around puzzled. They don't know what has gotten into this man. And finally, as if nothing happened, he opens the door and he welcomes him into his house. And they thought, well, that was odd. And they're walking down the hallway of his house and they noticed on the wall he's got pictures of doors. And lean up against the wall, he's got five or six doors stacked. They walk into his living room. His coffee table is a refurbished door. There's doors everywhere they look. And they tried to act like nothing was wrong. But finally, after about 10 minutes of the interview, they just couldn't contain themselves anymore. They said, sir, it's very obvious to us that you have an infatuation with doors. Can you explain to us what this means to you? He says, yeah, uh, you, you have to understand what I experienced in Vietnam to understand what these doors mean to me. He said, you have to have been imprisoned for as long as I was with no way out to understand what a door means to me. You have to have been as hopeless as I was, as distraught as I was, as depressed as I was, as low as I was, with seemingly no way out to appreciate what a door means to me. He said, so when I was rescued from that camp in Vietnam, I came home and I bought every door I could find. Because for me, a door represents a way of escape. Can I preach to you today that when we clap our hands, you may not understand why we're clapping our hands, but it's because we're looking for doors in the valley of our trouble. what he's doing. He's looking for a door in the valley of Acorn. When we wave our hands, we're looking for doors. When we clap our hands, we're looking for doors. When we do our dance, we're looking for a door of hope in the valley of our trouble. For you to appreciate the enthusiasm of Abundant Life Center in Lathrop, you have to understand where we came from. You have to know the stories of the people that are on the chairs in this church to understand our infatuation with Jesus Christ. See, for us, I'm not infatuated with the physical door, but I am infatuated with Jesus. And the Bible says that he is the door to the sheepfold. I'm infatuated with Jesus because he was my way of escape in the valley of my trouble. drugs I was using and the depression I was living in. You have to understand where I came from to appreciate yeah. what God did for me and the enthusiasm of my worship. You have to understand that if you're going to understand my worship, you've got to understand that I came from a place where most people ended up in, in gangs or dead. You have to understand that as a six and seven year old boy, I watched my dad sell cocaine out of our kitchen and do lines off the counter. I watched prostitution as a revol revolving door. You have to, if you look up at me and you don't understand why I lift my hands and I worship with big old hot tears running down my face, I'll tell you why. I'm enthusiastic about the kingdom of God because I was in a valley. And there was no way of escape But God made my valley A thorn I wish, I wish there were about five or ten people That used to be in a valley But God opened a door for you And you would just wave your hand And say thank you Jesus Thank you Jesus Thank you Jesus
a valley, God put a door of hope in there somewhere. God put a door of hope in there somewhere. Let me tell you in closing what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. He said, let me tell you something. There has no temptation, no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. In other words, whatever you're facing, somebody else is already facing. God, there is no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. And then he says, but God is faithful, who will not allow you. This is, a, this is an exact quote from scripture. Who will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able. But with the temptation will make a way of escape. That you might be able to bear it. Let me say it one more time. There hath no temptation taken you. But such is common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able. But with the temptation will make a way of escape. In other words, in your valley will make a door of hope. That you might be able to bear it. You say, Brother Jones, right now I am living in a valley. Right now, I am living in the valley of hopelessness and despair. I do not see a way out. Let me tell you something. Before you walked into that temptation, before you went into that valley, God made sure that there was a door of hope in there somewhere. God made sure. When we built our church in Honduras, we had to submit plans to the municipality that there would be a fire escape. Before we built the building, we had to make a way of escape. In case of emergency. When God submitted the plans of your temptation to the municipality of heaven, God had to make sure that in those plans there was a way of escape in there somewhere. Because he would not put more on you than you are able to bear it. Can I tell you right now, if you are at your breaking point, if you are at the end of your rope, there is a door of hope in there somewhere. Amen.
the last thing I'll say. The Bible lets us to know that John, the revelator, when he wrote the book of Revelation, he was stranded on the island of Patmos. Stranded, alone, deserted, to die. All around him was hopelessness and despair. You know what he did not focus on? Everything around him. You know what he did focus on? The Bible says that John lifted his eyes and he saw a door to a new Jerusalem. And that was an open door and what he saw was one seated on the throne. And all around that one man were angels crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Worthy is the Lord. about New Jerusalem. We have eight words about Patmos. Eight words about where he was living and 11,000 about 1,100 about where he was going. Eight words about where he was living and 1,100 words about where he was going because he lifted his eyes to a door that was right there the whole time. He just had to lift his But I wish I would hear is some apostolic people that would say, let's talk about where we're going. I'm done living in the valley of Acorn, but I know there is. 